We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pacer fans, welcome back to another edition of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. Joining me, as always, is the coach and the insider, Tyler Smith. Tyler, what's going on, man? Hey, man. Good to be here again. Got the NBA Finals ready, and then right after that, we got the draft and a lot of moves on the way. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, of course, joining us as well, the president of the Jermaine O'Neal Fan Club. Give it up for Mike Focci. Focci, any big news today? Oh, I think we got some big news. You guys are in for a treat because the president of the Jermaine O'Neal Club is bringing on none other than himself, Jermaine O'Neal. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is pretty exciting for all three of us, but I think Focci, uh, <laughs> this is this is the moment come true for you. It's essentially been my mission for the past decade, and today it happens. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you guys didn't, see already Fachi was promoted uh well his picture was used as a promotion for the big three to entice pacer fans to come see jermaine o'neal in indianapolis when the big three is here and they use the picture of mike Fachi meeting jermaine o'neal we've told the story a couple times we'll give a better story and a better you know just a full-out description of it for a video later on twitter but yeah let's sit back relax and enjoy our conversation here with jermaine o'neal we'll get out of the way so you guys can hear what jermaine has to say Ladies and gentlemen of Setting the Pace, I welcome to you three-time All-NBA, six-time All-Star, and Indiana Pacer legend, Jermaine O'Neal. Jermaine, how are you? Doing pretty good. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Oh, of course. The pleasure's all mine. So, Jermaine, I got to start by, you know, giving, me a, giving you a little background. Basically, ever since you got traded to Toronto in 2008, I made it my mission to try and do whatever I could to bring you back to Indiana. I'm talking 
bringing a sign that said, please bring Jermaine O'Neal back to Indiana at basically every sporting event I attended. We're talking college basketball games, college football games, NBA games, even the TBT tournament, anywhere I could to try and get on TV, to try and bring you back to Indiana. And at the big three game, you were nice enough to bring me down to the court. Were you just thinking this guy's out of his mind? I, I got to say, hey. No, you know, I, I've always been a big fan of, uh, of of my fans, my supporters. So anytime you get opportunities to see that, you know, you want to support the people that support you. And, you know, actually, I actually tried to get back to Indy before I retired, but uh, apparently it was just a one-way uh, conversation when it came down to it. And, you know, um, yeah, it, it was okay. You know, I, I wanted to move on and, and, and move on to the second chapter of my life, but I would have much rather have retired as a pacer um, than any other um, any other team. Oh, yeah, honestly, that's all we could have ever asked for. Just want to let you know, I did my part, but I'm glad to hear you try to do yours. <laughs> yeah, hey, Jermaine, this is this is Tyler. Uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. Hey, I wanted to let you know uh, earlier this season we did a podcast and we asked all the Pacer fans to vote. Uh, for their all-time uh, Mount Rushmore of Pacer players. So everybody sent in their four favorite Pacers of all time. We got a huge response with that. And after tallying all the votes, uh, Reggie Miller was number one. I don't think that surprises too many people. But number two was Jermaine O'Neal. So my question to you is, what does that mean to you to be so well thought of uh, by Pacer fans? And what did it mean to you to be a Pacer? Well, you know, I can go anywhere in the, in, in the world right now. You know, I was just in China in October, and you know, I only see one jersey um, with my name on it that says Pacer on the front. You know, people always recognize me as a Pacer. Um, I was I was uh, given the opportunity to grow as a teenager. You know, to you know, a, a young man, and you know, and have an opportunity to grow in this in, in the city of Indianapolis and in, in the state of Indiana. And I couldn't have I couldn't have been putting anywhere better than Indiana. And it, it taught me a lot. Um, the love and support has been unconditional. Uh, I was just there two weeks ago uh, for the Nike event, and it's just amazing. I was walking down the street downtown going, uh, actually bowling, um, a bunch bowl, and it just the love and support that I get year in and year out. But, you know, every time I come back, um, it never gets old, fellas. It, it really doesn't. And, I appreciate that support. I appreciate people supporting me uh, throughout my career there, uh, supporting me you know, to this very day in my second chapter. So, Jermaine, uh, this is Alex Golden here, and I want to talk a little bit about you coming into the NBA. So after Kevin Garnett sort of paved the way to make the jump from high school to the pros, you enter the draft and become the youngest player ever drafted at 17 years old and the youngest to ever appear in a game shortly after your 18th birthday. It is believed that in the next two to three years, the that players will be able to make that jump from high school to the NBA again. Having done it yourself, would you advise that? You know, I think every I think everybody should have, should have the opportunity to do so. I also do believe uh, that the opportunity isn't for everybody. Uh, I was truly blessed to go through go to a situation out in Portland, Oregon, with the, with the Portland Trailblazers, who was prepared for a seventeen year old um, teenager out of high school. From, you know, from Columbia, South Carolina, uh, they had they had the system, they had the you know had the foundation, they had the support cast there for me to help me you know help me mature. I don't think anybody's mentally, physically prepared uh, for the NBA, even I, even through college. 
you know, the NBA is just a different monster, and we see people struggle year in and year out that went to school. I went to college for two, three years. Um, but I just think it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's different strokes for different folks. Like, you know, p- people want to do comparisons and do all these different things on, you know, on, you know, players. But at the end of the day, it's always going to come down to the will of the player. You know, why the, you know, what's the reasoning for the player wanting to be in the NBA? Is it just for money? Is it just for people liking you? Is it, just, or is it for the love of the game? Uh, where you set, you set goals for yourself. Um, and you, know, you, you typically tend to see that, you know, whether it's a high school player or a pro player. And it's, it's, it's such a coincidence that R.J. Hampton, who just, um, who just went to, um, was going to Australia, yeah. actually came from, or I was just coaching him. He just came from my organization. Uh, wow. So he reclassed up. And, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of a, it, you know, it's very close proximity. And, and I've had a lot of conversations, you know, with the family and then with him. Uh, just about my perspective, uh, but again, um, you know, he has his own plans, he has his own will, and I think the opportunity should be there for anybody that wants to come out. It, it is going to be very interesting to see what happens at RJ. That could kind of change the landscape moving forward, at least for the next few years. But you know, you touched on basically when you came to Portland, there was a ton of veterans over there. Playing time was a bit hard to come by, but when you you came over to the Pacers, you hit the ground running. I mean, immediately set a franchise uh, blocks record. You followed up by winning most improved player of the year, earning your first all-star bid. I mean, what was that moment like? Were you thinking, whew, it's about time? Or was it a humbling experience having waited? Um, I came over I came over incredibly angry. And that's just the truth. You know, I felt like my first two years, I wasn't, my first year, I wasn't really ready to compete. Uh, my second year, I was getting there. Third year, for sure, ready to compete. Fourth year, I was ready to be a starter. Uh, just physically, based off what I was doing in practice against you know, a lot of those guys, and those are just some phenomenal talent. And I just felt like I was being looked over. And I just remember the first day I got to um, Indianapolis, and I was at Champs downtown. Um, and I remember walking in there, and it was like, you know, I know it was a tough situation coming into a team just came off the finals, uh, you know, uh, and it was just like, I remember hearing the woman's like, she was like, that's the guy that they traded you know, Dale Davis for, and it was almost in a, in a negative way. And I was like, okay, you know, let me go just, let me take my time and just show these people um, just, you know, what I'm about, you know, um, and just my talent level. And, you know, thankfully from, you know, for, for me, I, I was able to go to a team, an organization that was, that understood what I can do. I was, I was, I was able to play, with a all-time great and Reggie Miller, who, who really made it really easy for me to transition. I remember the first day, you know, uh, talking to him. He said, "Look, you know, kid, I'm, I'm gonna let you be whatever you want to be. He said, as long as you work hard, you know, I'm gonna step back and I'm gonna let you go into your your position." And that meant a lot to me, you know, because I, you know, I grew up watching Reggie, and obviously Reggie's one of the all-time greatest, best pacer ever. And to get that, you know, get that, you know. Uh, that conversation from a guy like him just meant a lot, and it made it easier for me to go in and, and really, you know, try to prove myself. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember uh, when the trade happened. I, I had an uncle who was a huge fan, and he sent me a text message, and he said, um, he said the uh, there's a guy that's going to take the Pacers in the city by storm this year, and his name's Jermaine O'Neal. And so from that point on, I was really excited, and that that's definitely what happened. So a lot of great memories there. Hey, I want to get your thoughts on 
uh, the Pacers offseason. I know or I don't know how much you were able to watch of them this past season, but it's really an important summer for the franchise. What are your thoughts on maybe some things you think the Pacers should do? Is it possible to get a free agent here? Should they look to maybe bring a lot of the guys back? Uh, should they make a big splash? Uh, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, you know, getting Oladipo back is, is going to be big, and you know, and hopefully he can come back, you know, really healthy. He had a just tremendous year up until he got uh, injured. I think they have great coaching already. Um, I think he should be up for coach of the year, considering all the injuries that they had. You know, you, you almost, you know, I don't know how far they are from um, the Raptors and 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 there's some other better Milwaukee's. Because we haven't had a chance to see that full scenario with uh, uh, Oladipo uh, being healthy. I think they're close. Uh, the question is, do you go all in? And you typically have to go all in and making a big splash if you're talking about winning a championship. If you don't, then you kind of sit, you know, kind of second tier. And um, I'm not sure what the management uh, thought process is uh, about it. Are they willing to wait? Uh, for some of the younger guys to, to get better. I think you have a great nucleus of young guys. Uh, so that can actually work as well. Um, but, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I don't know what the thought process with that, but I know they're not far. It's it's going to be very exciting to see. This is a huge off season for the Pacers. But when you talk about winning a championship, 2003 to 2004, you know, after a few first-round exits, the Pacers put it all together. They win 61 games, the most in the league and a franchise record. You're an MVP candidate. Meta's Defensive Player of the Year, but the Pacers get upset by one of the better defensive teams this generation, the Detroit Pistons. Do you think that the best team truly won that year, or was it the Pacers that kind of came up a little bit short and should have been there? I think the best team won. Um, you know, they had the most talent, no, but they had, they had the better team. Um, we did come up short, and, um, you know, one of those things that, you know, we knew – uh, coming after that, coming back into the year, really the brawl year, you know, where guys got together early. We would get in the summertime and say, hey, look, we know what this feeling is. Um, we, you know, we didn't like, you know, hot case after we lost um, against the Detroit in, in, in the Houston Conference Finals. This is our year. And I think that's probably the year after is the one that probably really hurt the most, to be honest. Um, we got we won those sixty you know sixty plus games that year based off just raw talent. I mean just raw talent and just you know great aggressive mindset. But we knew coming back the next year that we not only did we have the talent, but we had the knowledge to go win it. And obviously you know we know what happened after that. It was interesting that um, you know we still talk about these things. You know, me and Meta, it's hard for me to call him Matt. I'm gonna call him Ron. <laughs> um, you know, we just started. We just started having our first conversations. Our first conversation, literally, was at in San Francisco uh, last year uh, during the Big Three. Um, we had lunch together, and that was the first conversation that we've had uh, since we played together. Wow. And um, you know, you know, you mature. You know, of course, I think all of us could have did things better. Uh, I think I think you'd be a fool if, if you if you say anything less than that. Um, because you know we, you know, you know we just we were young. We were young. We were super talented, um, but we wasn't as together uh, as we should. And you know, one of the things that Ron, you know, uh, said to me is that you know, and I think I think it really brought us closer because we actually talk talk now, like we, we're friends now, That's um, awesome. more than we were when we played with each other, right? 
And, you know, that's it's, – it's, I don't look at championships at, at the end of the day that will determine, you know, who we are as people. Um, you know, sitting and li- listening to the things that he said, you know, uh, his documentary, I was actually part of the documentary as well. Um, you know, we – yeah, you know, we appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes losing the way we lost, going through what we went through with the brawl, uh, put us in a great position to date. People may not look at that. The average fan may not look at that. They're probably still upset that, you know, because we probably would have won it that year, to be honest. Yeah. I, and, I think so. You know, but we look at it as just maturity. You know, we, you know, it was something that happened, and, and, you know, we wasn't able to recover from it. But I was able to take that verbiage and take that situation and go and talk to a team like the Golden State Warriors. Uh, well, I said, hey, look, you know, create the opportunity, secure the moment, and go for it. And, I mean, that's documented, too, just some of the leadership that I was able to give those guys my last year. And, obviously, we've seen what they've been able to do uh, over the last five seasons, uh, you know, going through the NBA finals. Yeah, one of the things that Reggie Miller has said on record about your relationship with Ron Artest is that both of you guys were kind of, I guess, fighting for whose team it was. Uh, would you say that's a that's a fair uh, statement from Reggie, and do you think that if he wouldn't have, you know, requested that trade, that you guys could have coexisted and made this franchise something to be proud of more than looked down upon for the post brawl era? Well, you know, for me, I didn't, you know, I didn't really care to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that really brought me and Ron uh, closer was, you know, him admitting that, you know, he, tr- you know, I, I literally tried everything I could to to bring him on board. Uh, but I was very uneducated uh, with mental health. And, you know, that's why I'm so proud of him now because I didn't know what he was going through. All I knew he had a psychiatrist that, you know, that traveled with the team, was always on the team, I mean, he was on medication. Uh, but you don't really know that until you really dig deeper into it. And, and you know, if I knew what I knew now back then, um, yeah, we, things would have been much, much different. Um, I think, you know, not understanding that and him not really understanding, you know, really anybody else on the team but himself at the time, it created a, it created a divide. And that's why when you ask me, did the right team win? Yeah, the right team won. Because Detroit was a better overall team, not talent-wise, but together-wise. And, you know, that was one of the biggest um, uh, regrets that, uh, that I can probably look back to date and say, look, you know, I thought we were going to have many years to go compete at this thing, and we didn't. You know, literally, you know, when it happened, you know, it, everything was over. You know, it literally just, you know, from, you know, from coaching changes to injuries to trades. I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really have a problem. I thought it was our team. I thought it was the city's team. I didn't, you know, you know, I, I was already, you know, through my shoe deals and all that other stuff. I, you know, people knew who I was, so it didn't really matter you know, who they promote as long as we want. You know, Jermaine, you know, as you touched on, I mean, how just in a blink of an eye, kind of all just the, the championship aspirations kind of went away. You know, post-Malice at the Palace, a few down years for the team, unfortunate injuries, um, you know, the business side of things come into play. And the Pacers, unfortunately, they make a tough decision and they trade you to Toronto. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I was very upset, but what was the experience and transition like for you? From Indy to Toronto, yeah. Well, it was it was an emotional one. It was an emotional one. Um, you know, it's always it's always hard saying goodbye to something that you've been a part of for so long uh, to a community that you've been very invested into. 
uh, to a community that's been very invested into you. Um, and that was tough. That was tough for me. And, um, you know, you go to different environments, obviously going to a whole different country, uh, is different within itself and taking my family, have my family as well. Um, but I never really had a relationship. So it's, it's, I really, and honestly, you know, Portland was a great relationship. You know, it was like, that was kind of a, a family too as well for me. Um, but it was nothing else quite like Indianapolis for me. And, um, I never had that connection. I never recovered that connection to a city. Um, because I, you know, I was, I was always kind of looking back at, you know, I missed that moment. And even when I had, you know, it's interesting because I had an opportunity to go back to Golden State two straight years, you know, um, you know, they asked me to come back two straight years after I retired and I just didn't, you know, I felt like the moment was over. I felt like I needed to do mm-hmm. something different. Um, and part of me, you know, was always still back in Indy. Wow. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. AJO. speaking of those two teams, uh, the finals are set starting tonight. Uh, and you had a chance obviously to play for both of those teams. Who are you, if you don't mind me asking, who are you pulling for and who do you predict uh, to win this series? Do the Raptors have a chance to take down the champs? Um, you know, I, I'm gonna be honest. I, you know, I know Kyle Lowry from you know from um, from Vegas. We all trained out of Impact out there when I was living out of Vegas. But um, you know, Golden State is is, is a very unique team, uh, very unique organization as well. Um, those guys work incredibly hard, and you talk about. You know, being uh, selfless, you know, every time you come to practice, every time you come to the games, um, those guys are really, if it was like a picture and a definition, I mean, the dictionary for that word, selfless, you would see that team. The team should be under that definition. Um, they talk the right way. They prepare for the moment. Um, they're on the free in the moment. I do believe that, you know, Toronto, they, had, they went six games basically loading up on one player. Or now, if you, you can't do that. You know, if you turn your head, that guy that was just sitting in that corner on that wing won't be there. Right, so I think they're going to struggle a little bit early you know, with, with Golden State. I, I think like Golden State wins a five. Because I just think that they just, they just play differently, and it's very difficult um, to guard. I think uh, they are trying to prove something with Katie being out now, um, which is a dangerous thing for Toronto. Now, I want to ask you something here about Kawhi Leonard, who, you know, kind of is one of the focal points of this new player empowerment that we've been seeing in the NBA. You know, Paul George requested a trade from the Pacers, said he wasn't going to resign. So OKC, a small market, took a gamble on Paul George, and he got, you know, he resigned last season in the offseason. Toronto was hoping that getting to the finals will entice Kawhi Leonard to resign, and if he does, does that mean a small market team maybe like an Indiana should go after a big name free agent or a big name player that has said he won't resign with that team. I guess you could use Anthony Davis as an example. I, I know that that's probably a, a long shot for the Pacers, but if another player does do that, yeah. is this something that small markets should be looking at, hoping that a winning culture can change a player's mind? You know, honestly, I don't think any market has to do that now. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you have to go all in. I mean, Philadelphia really went all in, man. It was a big market. And you brought in people that were going to be friends. So you brought in multiple people. They traded kind of picks and everything. I go through that, you know, that handy, it did not work. But 
you know, they still used to have to almost do that just to have an opportunity to compete, you know, to get to the NBA finals. Um, you know, I, again, from a financial standpoint, it's really the temperature of the owner. Um, if that's something they want to do. But, you know, if you look at the history of teams that have won, almost all of them have been over seven camp. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them. You know, so I think you have to actually spend, you know, you have to, you have to spend the money to get the, you know, get the quality players in there to go win the championship. Now, if you're building it on the ground floor up and doing it from the draft, um, and that's a different, that, I think that's a different philosophy. But uh, I think, you know, I don't know why, you know, a top three agent would want to go them to Indianapolis. It's a great place to play. It's almost like a college town uh, with great support. So, uh, we'll see. You know, Jermaine, one of the cool moments I thought about in your career, I mean, you, you obviously you have a ton of accolades in your career, but I thought one of the coolest things had to have been not only starting alongside Michael Jordan in the All-Star game, but it was also his last All-Star game. What was that like? Mm-hmm. Pretty incredible. I mean, pretty incredible. Um, you know, MJ is, I had a chance to meet him when I was about nine years old in Columbia, South Carolina, down at the University of South Carolina. He came and did a charity event. And I just remember, you know, him signing the autograph for me at the time. I didn't really understand the impact of that. And Lord, I wish I still had that autograph. Um, but, you know, Michael Jordan is, he's the one player that you can, you know, every, you know, any generation, you can say his name. And everybody in the world, mm-hmm. like you know, Michael Jordan is you know my son and, and his friends don't know what the, what a cassette player is, what a VCR, um, you know, uh, deck is. But he knows what Michael Jordan is. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's it's pretty incredible, you know, um, how he is. You know, he's been that iconic, <clears throat> and it was just it was just such a pleasure, you know, playing you know, alongside you know the, the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, and I actually got, he actually signed a pair of shoes for me too. That's in my house right now that I'm, I'm probably going to forever keep. Uh, but you know, it's hard to put in words what, you know, what that, what that meant. And uh, he actually did an article, uh, did an interview about me at, in Portland that we have right now when I was a rookie. And it was just, uh, you know, just even him mentioning my name was a highlight you know, versus everything, you know, uh, everything else that he said, which was actually pretty good as well. That had to have been amazing. Yeah, hey, Jermaine, uh, I know I've seen a lot of the, the things you've been doing off the court. Uh, tell the viewers, uh, or listeners, I should say, um, tell them some of the things you're excited about off the court, some things that you have uh, been doing lately. Well, you know, I, I, yes, I do I do a lot of different things from you know, restaurants to, you know, I'm invested into tech businesses. Actually, Joe Lacob, one of the Warriors owner, we're partners in a, in a, in a wearable technology company called Athos. Um, but you know, real estate development. Uh, but I think the thing that I'm really most passionate about is, you know, I, you know, I coach kids. Uh, I have an organization named Drive Nation. Um, I actually built a sports complex, about 94,000 square feet. And, and I get an opportunity to talk to parents, um, you know, kids, but most importantly, parents as well, because they're the leaders of the kids and kids, what they say do about you know, just kind of life and, you know, what expectations is, you know, uh, and some of the things that uh, I was able to uh, go through, you know, see, be involved with, uh, good or bad, I think it's important for me to hear both, 
Um, and that's really, that's something I'm very passionate about, you know, being able to have an opportunity to help these kids uh, take, a, uh, take a talent or a craft and create a lifestyle for their families. And I'm not even talking about a pro, I'm talking about getting them to college or whatever it may be. Um, and that's, I really feel like that's my calling. I, and guys, I'm going to be honest, you know, basketball has been great to me, uh, but I don't, when I look at it now, you know, I'm just kind of 360 degrees. Um, this is my calling. Because mm-hmm. I am back where it all started for me, where I had a guy like Xavier McDaniel, Tyrone Corbin, and Alex English help me get through my process as a youth. And I get an opportunity to do the same things and bring the same value that they brought to me, you know, to my kids. And we have about 850 kids in our organization right now who are looking to actually uh, develop these sports complexes. And actually now we're going to develop towns where mm-hmm. retail, um, office space, uh, single-family homes, multi-family homes, all in one area, kind of a, kind of a small Disney world. And um, we're on a project right now out in Prosper, Texas. Hope we can get that title pretty fast. But um, these are the things that I, you know, I've, I've been able to learn, you know, through the process of being a pro and, and you know, you know even the place like Indianapolis where I can, you know, take some of my knowledge and, and now um, you know, put it back into the business world and also my communities. That's awesome to hear, man. So, for me, this is my last question for you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I love hearing all this stuff and just seeing what you're doing now and kind of reflecting on your career. But I want to go back. You played for the Pacers for quite a while. If you could pick your dream starting five of guys you played with on this Pacers team, who would that starting five be? Oh, oh wow. That's, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> starting five, obviously Reggie Miller, uh, no question. Ooh, um, it's a tough one. I mean, man, um, I'll probably go Steven Jackson, um, uh, just cause he's just, just incredibly tough and incredibly durable too as well. Um, Danny Granger, um, we'll probably put Danny at the point guard position, uh, just cause I, I know I'm, I'm put too many forwards in this. Uh, and, and hey, position, but, um, positionless basketball is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so three. Uh, let me see. Um, I go on, on our guys, and then uh, Mark Jackson. Awesome. Yeah, I awesome. was wondering if you're going to throw Jeff Foster in there just to foul some people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what? I, I, I was going to put Feisty in there. I did not. I did not play with Mark. But I just put him in there because he's one of the best point guards that um, India's had. Um, but if I couldn't put him, I would put Jeff because then I then I can slide back to the four and I have to play the five. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I was going to say because I remember Mark Jackson. I think was out like just right before you came in. But you got to show some love mm-hmm. to Mark Jackson. But little little comparison, you know, you're part of that 1996 draft class, one of the, the deepest and most amazing draft classes in NBA history. You know, featured, you know, future NBAs, uh, MVPs, all-stars like Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson, Steve Nash, and many others. How do you think it stacks up to the 2003 draft class of LeBron, Carmelo, Wade, Bosh? I think it's top-heavy. I mean, you know, I think uh, 2003 is top-heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at it, I mean, you had guys like Ben Wallace and, and go second round, right? And people don't realize he was in that draft too, as well. Um, you have, um, you know, Pager. Fisher and then, like, 
you have Pedro Stojakovic. Stefan um, Marbury. It was, yeah, Steph, Stefan. I think it was from a depth standpoint, there's only really only one other draft class that had that type of depth, and I would say that was probably um, – 84. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the serious one. I mean, that was really serious. Um, but, you know, 2003, uh, obviously had some great players, but uh, as he get past, you know, Bosch, um, you know, uh, Wade, I think Wade was in that draft, Carmelo, mm-hmm. LeBron, yep. honestly. Uh, I don't know where you go from there. Yeah, it's you more know, like, like a. That's really a question. I don't, I don't even know at, at that point. Yeah, you're looking at like Kirk Heinrich, Chris Kamen. So I think that, you know, that 96 draft class, it's just beyond deep. You could field a full roster out of it of basically just all-stars. Yeah. I mean, I mean Ray Allen, uh, uh, Canby, Marcus Canby. Um, Eric Dampier. I mean, yeah, Eric Dampier, Antoine Walker, uh, I mean, Kerry Kills. I mean, just the guys that were coming out of school, you know, like, I mean uh, – it just it was, it was it was. I remember I remember sitting home after I made myself eligible for the draft because back then you couldn't. You know, once you made yourself eligible, you basically forfeited your college eligibility. And I remember just sitting there, and every other day after that, somebody else announced. I was like, "Holy hell!" You know, I made <laughs> and this thing I could fall out of the first round. And I was truly blessed to uh, you know to, to, to get drafted. I got the phone call that I was I would you know I was projected to go between tenth and seventeenth and win the ball. Past seventeenth, and I was, you know, just blessed enough to get, get an opportunity to go to Portland. I, it just that must have been so hard to watch those guys just really just like Kobe Bryant out of high school while you're waiting your turn in Portland, but it all paid off. And uh, you know, Jermaine, while I haven't you know seen it formally in writing or anything, it, and people assume it, is it safe to say that you are retired from the NBA? You know what's interesting. Um, I don't know if the NBA knows I'm retired because I don't when, think they when do. I actually when I actually went to the union and said, Hey, what are the papers that we still file? And they said, There's no papers. And I was like, Wait, there's no papers to something to file for retirement? And they said, No, just say you're retired. And I was like, Oh wow. <laughs> so I mean I don't I mean, then I asked a couple other guys, they said they didn't sign any papers, so I mean I don't I don't I guess you just say, Hey, I'm done playing. Um, which is very interesting considering, you know, as big of a business as the NBA is. Uh, but I don't know if you guys find out something differently. Please let me know. <laughs> well, hey, if you ever wanted to retire on setting the pace, we will give you the platform. But if, you, if you're not retired, then I'll keep the hope alive that one day you're coming back to the Pacers, and that's all we can do. <laughs> I definitely appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot, Jermaine. It's been an honor having you on the show. I can't thank you enough. Yep, thanks, Jermaine. We really appreciate it, man. Well, I got to tell you guys too. Now, again, I'm, I'm gonna be back in town, um, uh, you know, June, you know, June 23rd. You know, one last time playing at you know, over at the uh, arena. I, I know it's not the Sequel Fieldhouse now. I'm not even sure. What it's it's Banker's Life. <laughs> Banker's Life. There you go, Banker's Life, and I get an opportunity to. To take the court one more time, um, one last time with uh, with Stephen Jackson, and you know, compete against him. I think the big three is just a phenomenal league. I would highly recommend that you know, if, if you're in Indianapolis or anywhere around Indianapolis, please come out and check this out. Um, you know, these guys are they're really competing. Obviously, the league has even gotten younger. 
Uh, they do a great job on entertainment. Uh, I think this is kind of the next wave. I mean, you see guys like Joe Johnson, uh, 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 and just a ton of guys, Big Baby. I mean, just Brett Man. I mean, it's a ton of guys. Nate Robinson, uh, Jason Richardson, Amara Stoudemire, I mean, Stephen Jackson, you know, a lot of There's just a ton of guys that are playing. Um, but it, it's also great basketball to watch. And uh, it's half court. Uh, it's in the summertime. And guys are really, really competing at a high level. So check it out. I, I can say I've been there. I loved it. And I think that you guys are off to some great things. Season three is going to be even bigger. Last question. Is Tri-State winning it all this year? Yeah, we should have won it last year. We just got a, mm-hmm. got a, we got a terrible whistle. <laughs> we got a terrible <laughs> whistle in Dallas. Uh, but I think we're better this year. Um, we got guys like Amari who's been playing literally since, last, since we lost last year uh, overseas. Uh, we picked up uh, Jason Richardson. Obviously, I don't know, if, you know for people that's not familiar with him. Played with Golden State for quite a while. Slam, slam uh, champion, Nate Robinson, um, uh, Bonzi Wells, a, a native from uh, Indiana. Uh, so we, we have a really good team. Um, I think we have a, you know, we have a great leader, Dr. J, as well. Um, but I think this year's our year. I think it is, Jermaine. The pleasure's been all ours. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for having me. Alrighty, folks, there you heard it. Jermaine O'Neal on Setting the Pace. You can check him out live at Bankers Life Fieldhouse June 23rd with the Big Three. Get to see Jermaine O'Neal one more time inside an arena here in Indianapolis. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can also sub- subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts as well. Hope you guys have been enjoying the recent podcasts that we have coming out, and we look forward to talking to you all again soon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.